0: Hello and welcome to Property Mastermind Podcast with Hilary Saxon and Bob Anderson, episode 128. Today we are talking developing high cash flow residential projects. This is going to be a great episode for those who want a bit bit of extra money come in. So let's jump on into episode 128. You're going to learn a load. Hello, welcome to episode 128. As I said, developing high cash flow residential projects. Bob. Yes. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks.
1: This is podcast four for you today. It it's
0: is, been, it is podcast f- four to me today. F-
1: the, f- the first one with you and I, but you've been doing it with other people.
0: Oh, I know, I'm hot property at the moment. Everyone <laughs> wants to interview me on their podcast. I've been in Canada, I've been yeah, all over, so it's it's a bit of action for me at the moment. Yeah. I don't know why. Podcast have Podcast heaven. I think I'm just, like, super interesting at the moment for some reason. <laughs> hey, we've got the dog on my lap. So if you hear some really crazy heavy breathing, and
1: whimpering, and it's this
0: little else. white fluffy thing sitting on my knee because we had to do a take two. She was whinging. I know. Don't start about the dog.
1: Oh, let's see how we go.
0: Yeah. We've had to do a restart because she, was, she just started whinging. Anyway, Bob, what's your tip for the
1: week? Ooh. Yes. Get your... Christmas shopping done early, like a week early, yep. at least. Because <laughs> I had a good day today. You might have noticed me slipping in and out a lot. Mm. So I've, I've knocked over quite a few things on my list of pre Christmas. And so I'm not rushing around at the last minute like I often do. Mm. Well, I hope I'm not. But I got I punched a big hole in it today. So was there anything
0: in, in amongst your shopping that was uh, for Hilary Jane? Oh, no comment. Oh. Well, you know, I won't be able to help myself, and I'll be hunting high and like, as soon as they get home.
1: we are going through my car, through my wardrobe, you're going through everything no, trying to find it. I will. Mm. Where have you hidden it? Or them? Or oh. Nothing. Okay. Maybe I didn't even find you
0: Maybe just tricking me. Mm. Okay. Okay. Dogs on the Move. Ah, well. Okay. So we've got the, the book to give away. Yeah. And okay. this week, the book. There it is. The book. Thanks, Bob. We'll do it for you. We're doing a trade. This week, the book. The book goes to Ross Eames. Ross, this is heading out to you in the post. Uh, it's
1: property millionaires exposed. Start at page one twenty-one. Why one twenty-one, Bob? Tell them why. That's my part. Yeah. Property development. But when you've done that, read everybody else's because it's interesting. Yeah. See what other strategies people employ to make money out of property. <laughs> But we know the best one.
0: We do. And for those of you who haven't got all your Christmas shopping done, there's a copy of my book, shamelessly, um, what do you call it when you put something, so product placement Product placement in the back of the podcast here for those who watch us on you YouTube. You're to pay
1: yourself for that product placement. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Three mm. wines and get yourself a copy. Great present for the women in your life. Yeah. Okay, full disclosure,
1: mm.
0: I, I didn't get
1: organized with the podcast this week. Well, you've been too, many, too busy doing your own potties
0: and so i do have notes that's okay i've got a few notes here so what was the reason behind the high cash flow residential projects what what inspired you for this podcast
1: i just wanted to do something a little bit different i mean we're always talking about development and typically when we talk about development we're talking about the three main things you know Mm -hmm. land subdivisions townhouses and and maybe apartments but maybe not straight away apartments and look they're good uh Most people, when they develop, develop and sell and therefore get a cash profit. Yeah. And and that's good, and at least for the first three projects, as we know, most people do that. But there are some great products that you can keep that have cash flow. So typically, if you think about it, it's like a seesaw. If you want high-yielding properties, usually have slower growth, And then properties that have high incomes usually have low growth. It's pretty hard to to find an investment that has high income and high growth as well. So I thought we'd just step outside and talk about some of the types of projects, residential projects, that we can do that we might like to keep if we want good cash flow because there's an old saying, cash flow is king or queen. But (laughs) it's... Pretty good to cash I, flow. I
0: like the saying, Queenager. I'm a Queenager. A
1: Queenager.
0: <laughs> but yes, you're right. Cash flow is hmm. king. Cash it's good flow to have is, assets. It's good yes. to have
1: growth assets. Yeah. Nice to have a mix, but it's great to have a good income off your property.
0: So I've got the, the list that you've typed out yeah. for me today. Standard residential developments. Yeah. Which of those um, were you alluding to?
1: Just today? the standard ones where, you know, typically mm-hmm. if you're going to keep something, you don't, you can't do like a two-lot like subdivision and keep the blocks of land. No. They're not income producing. So typically, you know, we'd be talking about something like townhouses or duplexes, those sorts of things.
0: And you just keep them for rent, you're talking? Keep them for
1: rental, yeah. Yeah, and as I just said, often people sell their first future projects, mm. build up some capital, and then they might start to keep some. Mm. You know, they might do a duplex and keep one and sell one. They might do a three-pack and keep one and sell two. And slowly over time. Uh, you know, you, you start accumulating them and holding them, and that's good. What's that
0: tipping point, Bob? And it, because some people are lucky enough to be able to keep their first few projects. Hmm. Again, I'm apologizing for the dog that's snoring on my knee, if you can hear. And that's ru- not my breathing. She's like,
1: I'd rather be snoring than. Whimpering.
0: Yes, exactly. So it's just excuse if you can hear. But is there generally a tipping point that people may start to keep them before when they've got enough on their wall chest if they yeah, have a yeah. uh, sort of depends. a rinse and repeat well, way of doing it? There's a
1: few variables there. It mm. depends what you start off with. Look, if you start your property development journey and you've got two million dollars in cash, mm. that's a great that's a great head start. You could start holding properties immediately. Yeah. But a majority of people don't have big chunks of cash. No. And they may even, you know, use some of the creative strategies like joint ventures to mm. get their first projects going because by themselves they don't have enough money but mm. when they join up with others they do. Yeah, uh, So that's going to be a slower process, mm. you know, compared to somebody who starts probably developing with a, with a decent-sized war chest. So, so if you're starting off with very little money and you need a joint venture partner or two to get going, then that's good. And, you know, maybe after one or two joint ventures you start to doing some with just your own funds. And maybe after one or two, then you might start to keep them. So it, it does depend where you start off uh, in, in terms of, you know, the available capital. But, the, but the point is, as developers, we, yeah. we can create property at absolute raw cost. Yeah. So if anybody is sitting in the box seat to hold properties for long-term investment, it's property developers. Mm.
0: Bob. We've got here, like standard residential, so you've got mm. land houses, townhouses, yeah, yeah, and apartments. apartments. And then why would you hold land, just land oh, as wouldn't. land? No. Okay, so you wouldn't. So standard residential projects where you've got houses, but townhouses. They're the types houses.
1: of residential projects. Right. Got Not, not necessarily the ones you get. They're they're the ones we often do. That's what I mean. You know, we often do little subbies, maybe some townhouses, maybe some duplex, and later on we might even do some apartments.
0: And so with that, if we're keeping those, it's for the rental, the rental yield that we're getting off those. Yeah,
1: the rental, the long-term growth. Mm. That's why we we keep them. And, uh, of course, they're they're good taxation-wise because – you know, if you develop and sell, that's great. You make a cash profit, you pay tax on it. Mm. That's okay. Never worry about that. But if you develop and hold, if you're structured correctly, you don't pay tax because you haven't sold anything, haven't made a profit. Your profit's still sitting in the property you keep. So that's a great way of deferring tax and building long term wealth. So that's what we want to do as a developer. We want to sell some and keep some. Right.
0: And what would be the negative side of keeping? properties
1: well you don't want to keep them too early because it can tie up your capital
0: yeah so people are handling that's where we get out of your first
1: project don't try and necessarily hold it unless like i said somebody starts off with two million cash when they get into property development they could start to hold some straight away yeah but otherwise uh now you need to sell just turn turn your first few projects over two or three whatever you need to do and then look at starting to keep some Mm.
0: and so that's one thing what about the whole dealing with tenants
1: Dealing with tenants.
0: I mean, that's gotten more and more difficult over time, hasn't it?
1: Well, a lot of legislation that's been changed over the years is Mm. very much in the tenant's favour, not the landlord. We know that. But the thing is, now, as property developers, if we develop a property and keep it, it's a brand-new property. It's got lots of depreciation, non-cash deductions, which really helps our cash flow. Mm -hmm. And we tend to get better tenants because they're brand-new properties. Right. So... You know, if you're building decent properties in good areas, you, you generally get better tenants. Mm. You know, if you've got a an old, you know, a crappy old investment, a leaky roof, and everything else in a not so good suburb, you're going to get a, you know, not the easiest tenants. Shall
0: and we I say. suppose there's way less maintenance costs when we've developed them ourselves because, mm, yeah, new. there's not going to be, yeah, the, the issue of old needing repairing, which can be no, taxing. no,
1: and all that depreciation you get, particularly in the first five years, is really helpful. So that that's great, but that's just normal yep. development and investing and holding. But what, what we're going to talk about is specialized, yeah. yeah, what we call specialised residential, yeah, yep. not those standard ones we just talked about. So
0: we're going to talk about student accommodation, rooming houses, holiday, NDIS, mm. Airbnb, motels and retirement. So these are the specialised residentials, Bob. Mm. So out of those, student accommodation, rooming houses, holiday accommodation, NDIS, Airbnb, mm. motels and retirement, are there any you haven't done? I want to go motels. Have you done motels? Uh, you're going to say yes I, I and throw me. I with a
1: friend of mine It's okay, m- so so many hit. years ago. Okay. Uh, but, but, but we didn't hold it, so we didn't really right. use it the way it should have been used. Um,
0: so w- let's yeah. start with student accommodation. What's great about having um, the student accommodation? So,
1: so these ones you just listed, what they have in common is they have a high yield. They yeah. have a higher income than your typical standard residential. Mm. But often with that comes higher management, more intense management, more work on the management side, more expense necessarily on, on the management side. But the net result is better, better Even- cash flow. Not necessarily on, a lot on the growth side, mm-hmm. but certainly cash flow. And, you know, you've got to have cash. You know, like I said, cash is king. It's all right having a big bunch of assets, but you've got to have cash to live. You know, we need money, don't we?
0: We do. Especially by, around Christmas. Buy people but, Christmas presents. Yes, exactly. That's exactly why so, we need money.
1: Student accommodation, yeah. Look, there's often two types there. Some people just might build some townhouses near a say near a university and rent them out to to university students, and that's fine. That's mm-hmm. a that's a form of student accommodation. Really they're just good old fashioned townhouses. Yeah. That you have so the only thing different there is the tenant. And perhaps you might rent room by room. You, you, you might build a three-bedroom a three townhouse, say, near a university, and, and rent the, each of the three rooms out individually to students. Mm. And so collectively that, that would usually give you more rent than just renting the whole building out to one you know, one person or one couple. So that's, that's part of it. The other thing is you can develop student accommodation that's actually pure student accommodation. In other words, it's approved by council, to be student accommodation, it's not just approved for townhouses. It's approved specifically for student and accommodation.
0: what is the difference between student accommodation and rooming houses, particularly? Like oh. What is the? Is it just more around?
1: Well, student student accommodation is exactly just, that. It's just for students, for students, and and usually near financial, uh, not financial, near uh, education facilities. So I've done them near universities, mm-hmm. and when I do, I tend to do more bedrooms, like four bedroom townhouses. Mm-hmm. And with each bedroom often having its own little ensuite. yeah, Because they, they rent really high. Mm-hmm. And and so typically I've done that. When you get an approval for student accommodation through the council, there's certain uh, dispensations you can get. Really? Yeah, but it has to be for student accommodation. This is not just getting a development permit for some townhouses that you might intend putting students into. Well, for instance, car parking.
0: Mm.
1: Now, I, I got involved uh, in in one some years ago now, probably, probably 12, 13 years ago, near a university where we did nine-bedroom townhouses. So we did uh, townhouses with nine bedrooms and nine little ensuite bathrooms. Yep. And they, each one of those is rented to, to students. But we only needed four car, car spaces. So, I mean, typically, if you're to do a normal townhouse, even a three bedder, you prop- in mean, most places these days you have to have two car parks. Well,
0: but, but most councils generally pro student accommodation near mm. universities or not? How do we, well, how do we go there?
1: Because yeah, we don't I often mean, the, hear people talk about it. We yeah. hear
0: about rooming houses a lot, but we, we don't hear student accommodation that often. You Why don't, is that? Well,
1: a lot some of the big players have gotten into that market right, as well, and they're doing big like, apartments, say uni lodge. Oh, they're doing oh, yeah. they've got. Yeah, high-rise blocks with two or three hundred in there. You yeah, know? okay. But there still is a place for small boutique type student accommodation, really well positioned.
0: Are you talking about maybe rural towns or smaller towns?
1: Well, wh- wherever there's a, a decent amount of uh, students, really. Mm, I mean, if there's okay. no university, there I probably wouldn't bother. But mm. but the thing about universities are that they like those ones we did, the, mm-hmm. the nine-bedroom ones. They they were rented out to students during their semesters and. And when those students weren't there, which is mainly like November, December and half of February, Mm. the international students came in. And so we fill them up with international students because quite often universities run 52 weeks a year.
0: Right.
1: Uh, They have their normal faculties and then they they have these uh, short-term courses for international students. So we used to fill up the gaps with those. Okay, And they, they love paying. They love going out of the way and paying a lot of money. So did
0: you keep that one for a
1: while? For for a while, but but I had somebody else involved in that who really wanted to um, offload it after a, a while. So one of the good or bad things with joint ventures is you have to ideally have the same philosophy.
0: Right. So if uh, you joint venture on a keeping basis, yeah. you, then everyone has to keep. But if, if somebody well, wants a, to sell... It's a bit it's... like
1: that with our retirement village at the moment. Yeah. Because we're doing something we rarely ever do, is mm. we're selling a part ownership in at 20%. Yeah. And the point of that is to hold that long term yeah. And so I'm more interested in accepting investors into that 20% who have a long term view than somebody who has a short term view. So mm-hmm.
0: okay.
1: sort of matching philosophies when
0: you've
1: got other people involved in your project, not just yourself. Yeah. But that's student accommodation. You talked about rooming houses. Yeah. So you've got. They're, they're a bit of a buzz thing going oh, on. They have been, yeah. The rules sort of. Well, the rules are different in every state for a start. Mm-hmm. And they have been changing quite a bit. So. Because there's been so many of them done and a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon and councils have realised that they've changed the rules and some of them they changed them midstream. That's the thing about councils. You could, you could lodge a development application and then they can change some rules. Mm. And, not, and then it doesn't matter that you've already lodged it on, under the old rules. Mm. They'll start dealing with your application under the new rules, which weren't there when you bought it or lodged your application. Mm. It's one of the annoyances with councils. So it does vary a bit, you know, in some places... For instance, the, the rooming house can have up to five, five rooms, five bedrooms, and they can be rented to unrelated people. Mm. But it, it, does, it does vary, and that's, it can change in different zonings. When you get up to, you know, high-density zonings, some of, some of those rules go out the door because they only relate to low-density, but, um, you know, same story again, mm. renting room by room. I mean, mm. that, that's, that's the key to it. That's how you get the, the extra rental. Is you're not just renting a let's say a five bedroom house to a family, you're renting to five individuals.
0: We've got a few people in our community that have gone through the property mastermind program, who are doing renting houses. In fact, some people we know
1: have 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 a collection of them.
0: Yes, and even just some nearby to us. So Mm. I I do know that they're um, fairly popular, and. Yeah, I suppose it's just that higher that higher turnover, I mean the higher yield. Mm. How does the management work on those,
1: Bob? Well, that like everything that's specialised, yeah, everything is specialised. Yeah, so you want it, they're quite intensive from a management point of view. Yeah, I, like I wouldn't be the slightest bit interested in managing my own uh, my own property, but there are special rental managers who specialise in short term accommodation like that. Even in student accommodation, I, I know a company that does absolutely nothing but uh, fill student accommodation with students. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, for people, you might have a five-bedroom house, they'll fill it for you with students. And They similar, manage
0: the rental collection, the rental collection, yeah. Same thing with rooming contract, houses, et yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: it costs more for the management. Mm-hmm. You know, typically if you're renting your townhouse out, let's say, probably somewhere between 5 and 7% of your rental mm-hmm. to the rental manager, whereas it's often around 15%. It can even be up to 20 sometimes okay. on the short-term accommodation because, as you imagine, in, in a year, like I think of a normal a normal rental manager with a townhouse, somebody signs a 12-month lease. Well, They
0: a, check that, it four, three times a year, don't they? That's about it. I'm
1: supposed to. But, I mean, they only deal with one tenant then. Yep. The whole year is just one tenant. But if you think of something like, like a rooming house, well, you know, you've got five different people in there instead of one mm-hmm. and, Depends on the sort of turnover in terms of how long people stay. Yeah. So it is intensive in that respect. And, you know, the cleaning is different. Like, like there's a whole heap of things that are different anyway. Yeah. But the yield's higher. So you're getting a a higher yield. You Mm. know, you might be, oh, you can be netting, you know, seven, eight, nine percent. I mean, it just depends. Um, Difference between gross rental and net rental, of course. Yeah. Don't don't get confused there.
0: And what about? holiday accommodation, Bob. And hmm. we're not talking Airbnb. We're just talking – so what's the difference that when you've written down holiday in Airbnb? What are you, what are you alluding well, to there? Well, Airbnb
1: really can be anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we know some people who've got rural properties that, that do Airbnb, you know, right. re- regional properties that do Airbnb. Yeah. I, I'm talking more about holiday destinations, I guess. Okay. You know, when I'm talking about holiday rentals. I have had holiday rentals and I've got to tell you, I didn't really like them and I eventually – um, got rid of them.
0: What was the reason that you didn't like
1: them? Uh, just the whole management side of it, even though I had an on-site manager. Yeah. Um, you got to get on really well with the on-site manager. You know, yeah, so actually,
0: when- but I know this story, Bob, because I know where you're talking and I know that you – did some renovations and completely changed it and did the whole went down the Bob Anderson, oh, do it first and ask, yeah. ask for, ask for yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Oh, so this yeah, is a different yeah, one to yeah, that yeah. one. Okay. But, but, that,
1: but you're right. I did. Yeah, you yeah. Did,
0: yeah. I can imagine, yeah, you might've wound them up a wee bit.
1: I did wind up the body corporate manager somewhat. Yeah. and Thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, I mean, that's about 15% off and on management there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got to, you got to keep your furniture up to date. You have got to change it sort of regularly. Yeah, so it, what it, is the, cops the are hiding? You can imagine.
0: What is the net yield?
1: Oh, look, it, it varies a lot because it does depend on your occupancy level, which depends a lot on two things. You know, what is your holiday? Is is it a house? Mm. Is it is it a, an apartment in a in a resort? I mean, there's there's huge. There's a lot of variance in mm. what holiday accommodation can be. Yeah, I, I've had like. Apartments in um, in resorts, yep. typically. In fact, i i um, i picked well. I picked one up actually. It's a bit of, anyway. That's a story in itself. I I traded a Rolls Royce I had at the time uh, on an apartment on the Gold Coast, and um, I don't know who got the best deal. Really, the guy the guy that got my Rolls or the, or the or the or the unit because the unit was turned out to be a real pain. I didn't really get on with the manager of the resort. And so, in the end, I went.
0: It's so not like you because you actually normally would get on with most people. Oh, what did would, they do that was normally, irritating? Oh, yeah,
1: I just can't remember. They were just irritating. Mm. But um, ended up like having to get an external agent to to rent. Yeah, and you know that's not always as effective. And you know, your on-site manager usually makes it <laughs> usually makes it hard for external manager. Anyway, after a while, yeah, you know, I, I disposed of it. But um, yeah, holiday accommodation. Look, it, it can be okay, but it, it, it's never really worked for me and it's not something I want to go back to.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like you're not
1: fully into it. There, there's other things I prefer.
0: Yeah, and then we've gone to, let's go down that Airbnb road. If you were to build a property, would you use it for Airbnb? It could. Is it a great it could, um, well, it can be. strategy? Well, well
1: look, Airbnb can be. Yep. I mean, if you get the right property in the right location, mm. it, can, it can run its head off.
0: I know we talk about Connie on the podcast. She's got a cracker. And your
1: annual rental can be fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it it is intensive from a management point of view. Mm. Um, It it just depends on the property itself. Sometimes if they're within a complex where you've got a lot of investors in that complex and you've got on-site management, they can sort of try and make, make it a little bit difficult for you, but... But really, you, you can get around that.
0: What if you were to develop a duplex though, and and decide mm. to use that as Airbnb?
1: Well, I mean, you could, particularly if it's well located. I mean, it could be a duplex near a beach, it could be near, near a city. I mean, you know, you, you could have a one-bedroom apartment that's really well located. You know, mm. near the city on a river, or you know, around restaurants. But that's that more
0: sort of a thing. purchase. You're not going to you're not going to develop a one-bedroom apartment. You no, know? you're not. No,
1: but. But, but, I mean, they make good b and B. So it's yeah. going to be, I mean, you could, yeah, you might do a small, you can do, you can do a four-apartment block too, you know, mm-hmm. or, or six-apartment block or a four-townhouse block. But, it, yeah, in, in the right location. Um, look, even even regional, like you talked about, Connie. Yep. You know, some, some sort of nice regional areas can, can go really well with an Airbnb.
0: Yeah. And then we've got. NDIs, which we talked about last week with mine.
1: Yeah, well, we we have talked a bit about that, but that's, I mean, that's that's a great cash flow mm. and different. I mean, your tenants' leases are basically look underpinned by the government. You could say. I mean, yep. they're not going to dump the NDIS scheme. Uh, the they probably love to, but they're not. You know, nobody can do that. Mm. You're not going to do that. They they fiddle around the edges and and so forth. There's, it's it's a changing environment in the mm. NDIS. Mm. but I mean, it is a great income, as you well know, mm. uh, with yours and uh, that we well, did that project in Perth, joint venture with a good uh, friend of ours, a good builder. I
0: also know of somebody else who went through our mentoring program who had had purchased an NDIS project, mm. and they were very lucky too. So they mm. they didn't develop it themselves. They were they will be able to now because uh, yeah. they know what they're doing. Yeah. But that w- that's going to work out very well for them, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, yep. it's it's fraught with issues. NDIS. Yes. Um, I think we talked about it last time. But yeah. I mean, from a design point of view, you got to get it com- absolutely compliant, and mm. they they check the building before mm. they offer any tenants. It's got to tick every box uh, and some people have built these things and it hasn't come up to scratch.
0: You were just talking about the strict rules around NDIS. Are there similar rules around rooming houses and student student accommodation that are quite specific to measurements and size and stuff like that? No,
1: no, not not to the extent of NDIS. I mean, there's obviously planning, town planning uh, regulations around things like rooming houses and so forth. NDIS – It's the compliance, the design Mm. and the compliance. Uh, You you can't be a a millimetre out. I mean, if they say a passageway has to be a metre and you're 999 centimetres, or I should should say 99.9 centimetres. How's
0: your maths going, Bob? Yeah, Yeah.
1: divided by 10. (laughs) uh, You won't get through. I mean, that's that's, that's how. And the other thing is getting, getting the tenancy SDA providers to actually like your project to supply, Mm. supply the tenants, you know, supply the people who live in it. And and that can be a problem Mm. uh, getting them on side. So, um, you know, you're you're fortunate that you're well connected through your joint venture partner on that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And
1: and so that was great. But, yeah, there's been plenty of people have developed NDIS and ended up with a very expensive unit that they just can only rent out to the, you know, just to the normal market. Yeah. Because it costs a lot to fit them out.
0: So w- let's go move on now to motels. We, mm. uh, we we talked a wee bit about them. So developing motels,
1: no, uh, not what's something yeah. somebody'll do first up? No. But motels can be, you know, in, in the right location mm. a cash cow. Mm. Um, you know, they they probably they produce quite a high yield depends on the occupancy level of the motel. Yeah. And the way it's managed, the way it's marketed and so forth. But you could Develop a motel and put somebody in on the leasehold to operate it, right? And and just own it and get the head lease yourself. Sometimes you do in hotels. So, and
0: what would the return like that. on that be, sort of thing? Well, how oh, does that work? I mean,
1: work? You, you you probably well, if somebody can get the like somebody in the leasehold can get the occupancy right up. I mean, a, a motel could could show fourteen to eighteen percent, really um, off the top, yeah. But they're intense. I mean, mm. a lot of motels have live-in operators yeah. who, who have long hours yeah you know they might my hotel might be open till seven or eight o'clock at night
0: remember last year we went on that holiday and we stayed in that small town not far from Benalbo where were we there anyway there oh, yeah. was there it? Was Quite a few motels, it was like rural Australia, so you, you're pretty limited with your options. And the interesting thing was there was only pretty much two rooms left in the whole town that night. That's right. And they had a massive occupancy rate because there was a lot of infrastructure happening close mm, by, so mm. everything was booked by contractors. Yeah. Where we were staying, there was utes pull up at about 6 o'clock at night and <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And they all sit out
1: in front of the motel unit and ripped the top off a can of beer.
0: Yeah, and a few of them smoked. Yay. It was like, eh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it was just an interesting thing that those motels in rural
1: they were very rural. Oh, like near mining towns? Or,
0: yeah, you know, we're, or we're talking a, a long of, way from civilization. Yeah. well, I you mean know, cityization. I suppose. Mm, mm. They were small little towns, pretty yeah, cute, yeah. but when we looked up what was available, not much at all. So the occupancy rate, if you're lucky enough to get something like that, has got to be great.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah. But, like, as a developer, if you could, if you got your foot on a really good location like that, mm. you could get an operator at the beginning, like, um, you know, think of motel operation. operators, you can't yeah. really think of many, uh, you know, Southern Comfort—not Southern Comfort, that's a drink. You know, um, but there's various motel chains, you know, that operate motels nationally, mm-hmm. who would take a head lease, right. or offer to take a head lease before you even develop it. So really? you sort of yeah, you could develop it with them willing to take the head lease out.
0: I remember when we stayed in that place, we actually kind of mapped out how they developed it. Do you remember? We were, yeah. we were like, oh, they've done this, this, and this. It was quite funny. Yeah. That's us on holiday, start developing in our heads how mm. they put it together. We can't help it, can we? No, we can't. And then the last one we've got on the spe- specialised residential list, Bob, is retirement. And Yay. You did, yeah, <laughs> your favourite. And you, I left it till the end. You did allude to it before. But break down the different – well, the land lease versus the non-land lease. Could you mm. break it down a wee bit so people understand it? A little bit
1: about retirement. I'll, I'll do a few minutes. Obviously, it's not generally something you start off with because mm-hmm. it does. it is very capital intensive. But firstly, don't don't confuse retirement product with aged oh, care.
0: Yeah, they're different completely.
1: An aged care home uh, is entirely different. It's r- run under the Aged Care Act of 1997. It's Basically a mini hospital almost, you know, it's people have rooms in there and medical staff and the whole structure of the thing is is extremely regulated and I've only delved into that once and I'm never going back. So we're not talking about aged care, we're talking about retirement. So typically retirement villages, as they're called, operate under the Retirement Villages Act, which is different in every state but fairly similar, and the financial structure is is different. It uses what they call deferred management fees typically. So what would happen, they might have three types of deferred management fee where people go in there, they pay a, a contribution uh, like weekly, but it's not a body corp because it's different, but they pay a contribution sort of which you know, upkeeps the retirement village. But then they have various uh, percentages of what happens when they leave. So when they leave, they can sell uh, their accommodation, but the operator, the owner, gets a certain percent of that. Mm. So they don't get all the capital gain, and, and some of it can be up to thirty-five percent. So you can imagine if if you're selling something, you've know, been there for ten years, sell it down the track, thirty-five percent goes back to the operator, you get to keep the rest, the other sixty-five percent. So, so and that can vary. I mean, different percentages, twenty. 25 30 35 uh, and so there can be a bit of a balance between that and the fees you pay you know right so they're typically over over 55 retirement villages and and, and that's that model and they're very much a long term thing in terms of they, they their income just keeps ramping up and up and up and up and the value keeps ramping up the other type typically is what's often referred to as the land lease model.
0: Mm. I'm pretty sure that's what my mum's in, the one you were just talking about. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 the other one, the retirement village one. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah.
0: in the retirement, but she's def- I don't think she's in the land lease.
1: No, no, she's not. Um,
0: oh, you already asked. Well,
1: she's in an apartment, so. Oh,
0: of course, yeah.
1: But the land lease model is, is simply that the operator, which is often the developer, mm. owns the land, um, but the residents own the house. And so you develop it like anything where you bring in the roads, bring in the services. Um, you peg lots, but they never get titled. The whole, the whole retirement village, if we're going to call it that, is just one title.
0: It's interesting so, you say, if we were going to call it that. So why do you say, if we were going to call it that, what would be. Well, it's the- not
1: really a retirement no. village, technically. Okay. Yep. They're often done referred to as manufactured home estates uh, where the construction is done off-site, although you can get permission to do it on site. But typically what happens is the resident who owns the house, Mm. so they buy the house, they own the house, it's a chattel, you know, it's a house, they pay a certain amount of money each week to have their house on the land and for the use of the community facilities, which can be quite extensive. And so it's an income stream for the operator Mm. uh, and uh, that's the model that's well, the model that we're doing on the Greg Norman design along our golf course in Tamworth mm. is the land lease model uh, so that one's ninety nine houses as you know because you're uh, you're part of that you're, you're an investor <laughs> yeah. in it when,
0: yeah so Bob yeah. what is the because people would probably be interested what is the yield on a, a retirement village well I know people Well, don't... you
1: can't work it out because it's see to have a yield, you have to have a value something's worth so much, and then you get a an income stream off it. Yeah. What's different What's different about, say, the land... Well, just pick the land lease model because that's sort of where we finished, is that when you finish developing it and you keep it, you don't have any debt. Yes. So you can't do that. If you, if you were to do 99 townhouses mm. and keep them for rental, you would probably owe about 80%, which is sort of what it costs you, you know. Mm. Um, so you'd have 80% debt, 20% equity... And you'd rent them out and they'd be probably around cash flow neutral maybe, you know. Whereas with the retirement product, uh, when you're finished, you've actually retired all your debt through the project. It's a little bit hard to grasp if you're not used to it. And so you end up owning the village with zero debt mm-hmm. and, it, and it produces a substantial cash flow. So so in, in one respect, you've got a big income off zero debt. So that that's a pretty good outcome. Mm. But... Um, the multiplier is about 20. So that's, it's like a, a yield of 5%, but but really you've got no debt. So it doesn't relate. You can't compare it to a normal product.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, you know, whatever you normally develop and keep it, obviously you've got to, still got a lot of debt on it. Right. Typically you'd be carrying 80%, mm. probably on a commercial property, maybe 70%. On a retirement village, really zero, <laughs> zero debt.
0: Right, and that's why you love it so much.
1: That's why I love them. Gotta love
0: them. You gotta (laughs) love them. And standard Resi, good growth.
1: Yeah, well, standard Resi, you get the growth, you get the income, um, but the the higher the growth, normally the the lower the yield. Yep. You know, as much as you can do it.
0: Average is seven and a half,
1: is what your notes say here for me. Or well, not standard resi.
0: Oh, um, maybe I'm reading the wrong part. But, Lower but, yield, three and a half to.
1: Yeah, look, like it depends where it is, but to, like two. To four. You think a gross and net yields on normal residential? Mm. Uh, you know, you, you might be getting five percent growth as five percent gross rental somewhere, but you are probably only netting three and a half by the time you. And that's even before debt. I mm. mean, you don't you don't take debt into account when you're talking about yield, but but you know you've got management fees, you've got. Um, you know, insurance and council rates and taxes and all those sorts of things to come off the 5%. So if you've got 5% gross, you might end up with 3.5%, uh, 3.5% net. But then you can be in a, in a in an area, you know, an expensive area where you're getting 3% gross and, you know, one point one three quarters to 2% um, net. But you're getting high growth, mm. you know, some of the inner suburbs of the cities, which is fine. That, that's a good growth investment. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. But what we're talking about today is it's good to have a mix. I think you need some that's Mm. really, you know, sort of low-yield, high-growth, but you can't beat getting a good cash flow because it's so important to keep the money coming in.
0: So I suppose for most of the people that listen to this podcast, we're talking, you know, Bob average, Hillary average, average people, Mm. nothing average about me. (laughs) Way too noisy to be average. Uh, But... For just, you know, everyday people, most won't start off with something like this necessarily. It's probably something they'll move into unless they got together with a group of people and decided mm. to do something. Would be, that be something that you would do? Because you mentioned before, which I, I've never heard you say and I've heard you say most things, about the joint venture and your partner wanted to sell out and you obviously couldn't buy them out or didn't want to buy them out and so you both went on the same page. So that's where that could be a problem. But would you consider that to be a good idea, maybe as a family pooling your money and going into yeah. something like this?
1: Yeah, it could be great as a family. Yeah, I, I mean, there are, we, we know some people whose first projects have been something like a rooming house, yeah, of course, because yeah. it's just a block of land with a house.
0: Karen and Grant, yeah,
1: or do it, you know, the, we spore, the famous
0: spoor family s-
1: done splitters, <laughs> yeah, for They've sure. They split an 800 into two 400s, done a house on each of the two 400s,
0: yeah.
1: mm. um, whereas obviously. No-one's going to do a retirement village as their first project. No. I mean,
0: it, it takes way more knowledge. Or a and,
1: motel or Yeah. NDIS, probably not, not necessarily first project, unless you're in with somebody who really is in the know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a good opportunity for families to get together and, and get a good cash flow property or properties. As a, You know, it's good.
0: And on the odd occasion, we do have people listening to this who do have a lot of money, and you know who who do ring us up and say, "I've got this," and uh, you know ask for a bit of direction or advice, or want to know how we can help them, or whatever. Mm. So these are you know opportunities. They're if you opportunities, don't need to yeah. sell, these are opportunities that you can move forward with. In fact, I am thinking of someone I spoke to, Ben, the other day. This is something you might be interested in. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they're easy. Look, they're easier to hold mm. because you got the higher income. Yeah. You know the difference between your net income and interest is always interesting. Mm. So yeah, that that can be good. So there's a place for everything.
0: Oh, for sure. But I'm thinking, like the average person, what what do because that's you know we more often talk to average people on on this podcast, just everyday people doing development. So. For them, it's probably going to be not their first one necessarily, unless they got, mm. were with a group of people, uh, people with a little bit of extra money. They'll be maybe looking into this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it might yeah. not be your first, but I mean, you might suddenly come across a, a you know, a, a block of land near near an educational facility, and start mm. to think about, wow, I wonder if I could do something there. What can I do? Have a talk. It, see, see what the, you know, the, what it is that you could fit on. Uh, have, have a talk to. It's not hard to find them. There are agents or managing agents that specialise in such things as Mm. student accommodation and you can sort of find out what sort of rentals you might get per room.
0: I think when we're – I just looked through some more of the notes and and it just made me realise that it's really about you have to be in the right area. Mm. You're not going to put student accommodation – nowhere near where students are so you're not going to build just like the retirement village you're, you're building that in a place where there's a high demographic demographic easy for me to say of people who are of that age mm. so you put where you put that thing it's like any development you mm. put something that's needed you don't just do the whole if they build it I think people will come it needs to be in the right spot doesn't it yeah so what is the right spot for rooming houses
1: oh it's funny, like, I've seen them in areas where I probably thought, I mm, don't know why they did it there, and they've gone they've gone fine. But, like, if you think, I, I, they don't have to be a low socioeconomic thing. Some people think rooming houses are like the old boarding houses. Mm. But you can do modern boarding houses as well. Yeah, so, uh, As basically boarding houses, not just rooming houses. But, but um, if you think about transport, I think it's a good thing. Yes. Transport. If they're if they're close to transport, um, public transport I'm talking about, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, buses, trains, that sort of thing. And um, probably, you know, shops, transport. I've seen some I've seen some sites on busier roads, but are really well located. I'm thinking of one that I looked at. I wouldn't build townhouses on this site, but it was Across from a Westfield, the other side of the road, within the Westfield was a bus interchange with right. buses going in every direction. Yep, yep. And look, it was probably 800 metres from a railway station, but that's nothing. What state are we in here? Queensland. Okay. Brisbane. And the downside was four lanes of traffic. Right. And probably an owner occupier wouldn't want to live there. And probably you could just do some standard townhouses, but there's still a bit of a negative impact. Mm well, I thought, you know, rooming houses—you've got like a hundred shops across the road. You've got mm. theaters. You've got all the, all the, all those things that go with the Westfield. Yeah, bus change. you can going anywhere you like, mm. transport wise. Eight hundred meters, big deal. A train, and you go you know, and catch that train to the city, to the airport, wherever mm. you want to go. And and so the only thing is a bit of noise. But then, you know, somebody who's not not living there forever. Uh, would probably be okay with that because yeah. of the location in a rooming house. And and there's a lot you can do acoustically as well.
0: And I think a lot of the time when it comes to rooming house, it's a reason. You generally don't think you're going to be living there forever. You're living there for a reason and it's Yeah.
1: It can be just yeah.
0: You might work be working out of town and just have a Monday to Friday house. Yeah. And it's at least you've got your own stuff. It's not a hotel, it's less expensive. Mm. You it could be anything like that. Yeah. And I suppose when you Think about that. The same is almost with uh, Airbnb, Hmm. because I think everything it's about location, and that's probably why we do five year patch. It doesn't matter what you're developing; it is about the location. Yeah, I think Uh, that's a really uh, good takeaway from this podcast. Location
1: suits the product.
0: Yeah, for sure. I never thought of it when I, you handed me these notes and said, this is the podcast, mm. and, and I didn't prepare. No. I never I never went down that road, but that's been a realisation something I've got from this podcast today, Bob, thank you, is that it's always about location.
1: Yeah, and it's not the same for every product. No. Like if you're going to build some retail shops and you found a site on a road that's 60,000 cars a day, it'd probably be incredible, mm. as long as you can get access, ideally yeah. a corner lot. Yeah. Because think of it. I think the exposure mm. for the retailers mm-hmm. in there, incredible, but you wouldn't build owner-occupier townhouses there no with 60,000 cars a day. No. No one would buy them. No. <laughs> but for different product, perfect.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I think it's been incredibly insightful. I've enjoyed the discussion uh, this evening. It's evening where we are. And, um, yeah, I hope everybody else got a lot out of this. Just a couple of episodes to go, I think we must be almost putting one out Christmas Day at this rate. Oh, must be close. Surely not. <laughs> Surely no one wants to listen
1: to well, us on Christmas Day. I'd be keen Christmas to see if, any, if anybody listens to our podcast <laughs> on Christmas Day.
0: Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, we hope you got something from that. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, the book's going out this week. Three ones, In, still time to get your Perfect copy for Christmas, Christmas, Christmas or any, some, any ladies some light, in your life. some light reading over the New Year, or oh, even for me and they can read it. It's a great book. I enjoyed it. Yep. Yeah. Bob did some editing for me. And also, if you're interested in learning uh, about the equity opportunity in the retirement village, you're welcome to reach out for me through our website, or Hillary at Property Mastermind, or Admin at Property Mastermind, probably should go there. And then just anything else that you might want to hand with or you're interested in, feel free to reach out. We're pretty approachable. And we're coming to the end of the year. I'm pretty excited. So we yeah. will catch you next week. Bye.
1: Bye now.